0: Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at colomunda.church. Hey, we are going to kick into a new series on Nehemiah today. So if you've got your Bibles there, I'm going to look at a bit of an introduction for you um, in, the, in the story of Nehemiah and we're going to be um, looking at the first chapter. Um, and so we're actually going to go through, and I'm going to explain why we're doing Nehemiah shortly, but uh, zone in, get ready. Uh, and it's great to have the kids in. Don't be afraid of are making noise. That's all good. We don't, we don't mind. We just love having families in church, don't we? Amen. Hey, ha, um, have you ever had a, something you've faced that is just too big for you, too overwhelming, you can't face it? And I'm sure if you haven't, then you probably will eventually. All of us have things like that. And the book of Nehemiah is interesting. It's an interesting book because there's not like dead raising moments or big healings or or this and that sort of thing. But the book of Nehemiah I love because there's so much in it about the power of God in impossible situations. And, And we're going to see a lot of things through this book. But first of all, I'll just show you a photo of a few years ago. I'll never forget the day. Uh, on this next slide, I'll never forget the day, you know them days where you can remember exactly where you were at the time? Uh, you know, like you can remember 9-11, I can remember when I heard that news. Well, I'll never forget the day when the Wuraloo Gidjigannap bushfires started a few years ago, and where I was. And I'll never forget uh, driving home from a shearing job at the time out in northern. and I'm driving back, and all the roads are blocked off, and I just see a little puff of smoke in the background, And I think, oh, that's no worries, I'll go a detour. And you end up doing this massive detour, and suddenly that little puff of smoke become a massive, massive lot of smoke. This wasn't my house, by the way. Uh, And where we were renting at the time, we got home and got the news, you need to evacuate and get go somewhere else, just get out because this fire is huge. And the devastation that it caused through Tilden Park and, and areas around around Wuraloo, if you remember, were just horrible and, and, and left people in ruins. In fact, where we actually have our sheep, it looks very similar to this over there. They, the, the place has just been flattened and there's just devastation and it's just been burnt. And, you know, during that time, the church I was uh, involved with uh, did some ministry into helping. And it wasn't just the homes that had been destroyed. It was the hearts that had lost hope. And it was the hearts of the people. And so there are initiatives to try and help with chaplaincy and try and help with uh, pastoral care to get the hearts up. Because it's a devastating thing, isn't it, to have everything lost and gone. And um, But I've been back there recently as I go there a fair bit and I've seen able to see the new rebuilding the new buildings, the new homes, and just the the beautiful days and the sense of hope again in people's um, eyes in that place. And we're in a book of Nehemiah. It's not exactly like that, but it's a little bit like that. Nehemiah's uh, story and where it lands in history is when God's people have been in a terrible place of ruin, really, um, and they had been exiled. They had been taken away captive by the Babylonians. And out of this exile... Um, Their their city, a bit like that, their city Jerusalem had been laid in ruins. The walls were flat and the uh, temple was destroyed. Everything was destroyed and it had gone from into ruins and rubble. Now, they had, I think it was King Cyrus or whoever it was, had released God's people years and years before to start actually coming back to their homeland to come out of exile. And as they were coming back, there was like three waves that would come back under three different leaders. First of all, there was Zerubbabel. Side note, if you're looking for baby names, Nehemiah is the book for you. There are so many cool names like Zerubbabel, um, Sanballat. Uh, you'll get a heap more along this journey over the next few weeks as you have a look. But Zerubbabel led the first wave back and would establish the temple with Ezra. Ezra was the next one, would lead more people back and they would get the temple built and they'd get the, um, the, the spiritual reformation starting in the people's hearts there, but it wasn't complete Uh, under Zerubbabel, under Ezra but then this book of Nehemiah which is the last of the historical books in the Old Testament is all about the third wave, the third return under a man named Nehemiah under his leadership and there is so much in this book for our lives today about going from ruins and rubble to revival because who knows that in this room there is probably a lot of rubble there's probably a lot of ruins. Who knows that in our community there is a lot of ruins and rubble lying around. And in that ruins and rubble, God has a heart for revival. And so in this book, we see the first seven chapters are all about rebuilding a physical wall. And then we see the rest of the book is about rebuilding a people in those walls. So Nehemiah arrived about 440 BC, and it was about 13 years after Ezra had returned there. And he instilled this amazing thing. He instilled a vision, just to give you a bit of an overview before I get into chapter 1, this vision in God's remnant there, in the people, to rebuild the walls of the city in spite of all the opposition they would face and everything. They did this feat to build this wall, which is impossible, in 52 days. They saw it, and all through the book, it is glory to God that did this miraculous work. Now, it was in about November, December in that, in that year, 444 BC, that Nehemiah was serving as cupbearer to the most powerful king in the land, in the world, um, in his winter capital. And he has a life-changing conversation that we're going to get into this morning um, with some of his brothers from Jerusalem. But firstly... Why would we do this series on Nehemiah? Well, number one, it's been on my heart ever since coming to Calamunda. Ever since coming here, it's been a book that God just highlights to me and talks about his rebuilding plans. And, and for the first year of being here, really put it on my heart to, to listen, to love, to learn. And, and out of that, like Nehemiah, he'd walk through the rubble and have a look and see what God is doing. And I'm not calling you all rubble. I'm talking about our city. I'm talking about our church, our people. We, we all are broken in some way, Yeah. And this, if, you're, if you're a perfect person, you probably won't like it at this church. This church is full of broken people that are seeing the powerful God bring us back together again. And so uh, I think it's a powerful book for churches. It's a powerful book on leadership. It's a, we're in now a new season of building. A new season of building and going forward spiritually, maybe physically. The faith promise that was taken up in building our mission of over $150,000 tells me that we're in a season of putting hands to the plow, in a season of reconstruction. And so that's exciting, and that's why this book is important. We're in a season of fresh vision. You know, I've never come here or uh, eldership with this uh, beautiful flashbang vision statement. I've just come with that heart of the four things that, um, that that we are really value at the moment, about being outward focused, about being more than a Sunday, about being intergenerational with a focus on the next generation, and about being a redemptive community where it's about the gospel. And we're in a season of refreshing and seeing what is the next step in the vision going forward as a church. And also we're just in a broken world and we need some of the principles and truths from Nehemiah to be able to navigate through are you with me this morning yeah. i'm looking forward to getting into the word but i'm going to say this my title is this nehemiah's burden and i call it that because a burden always precedes a building i remember uh when i first gave my life to the lord as a 10 year old in little old muck and Boudin church of christ And I'll never forget when I became the pastor to be able to go back and find the history of that church. And I found out that years and years and years, before the church was even there, there was an old man who would get on his horse and cart and he would come to town on a Sunday and he would pick up off the side of the road all the kids waiting for Sunday school. And he'd pick them up and they would actually come to the town and then they would would have church in what now is a shearing shed (laughs) and it became a shearing shed after that it's quite interesting I've shorn in that shed but that was the first church and it wasn't much of a building at all but one day this guy his burden for the, the church to be built wasn't just a spiritual thing became physical and they Put some bricks and mortar together and they built a church. And who knows, church is not a building, it's the people. But who knows that a physical presence is powerful? Why? I know because I gave my life to Jesus in a building, in a meeting as a 10 year old because somebody had a burden many years before. And I'll say it's a burden that precedes any kind of building. You're sitting in a seat this morning from someone else's burden. Someone had a burden for you to be here this morning. Someone had a burden for this church to be established and built. And on that burden of their heart moved them so much to do something, to put finances in, to put their hand to the plough and see a church built. And when we see transformation from people's lives in this church, it's awesome. And it's all because somebody had a burden. Let's go, chapter 1, verse 1. Let's get to the word of God, not the word of Brad. Here we go. The words of Nehemiah, the name Nehemiah means God comforts, the comfort of God, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, which is around November, December, in the 20th year, while I was at the citadel of Susa, which as I said, is like the palace for the king in the wintertime. It'd be like going to Broome for the winter, amen, and just hanging out there. This was that place to be. Anyway, that's where he is. Verse 2, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king, and it's just another day at the office, but this is going to be an important day. This is going to be a life-changing day. Never take for granted just another day at work. Never take that for granted. And he's about to have a conversation because he sees some people that have been the remnant and he wants to know how they're going. So he says, how are things back there? How are the people? How is Jerusalem? And just remember, he probably never, ever been to Jerusalem, Nehemiah. Probably the whole of his life, grown up in exile. And yet something is going on here. In verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province... Are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah has what I call, and I'm going to say it a few words with the word divine, a divine question which led to a divine concern. He was concerned. Why, if you ask the question, why did Nehemiah even ask this question? How are they going? Why would he ask that? And the answer isn't really profound. It's because he cared. What you talk about first is often what you think about most. What you talk about first is often um, what is most important to you. Let me ask you what are the questions the body of Christ should be asking? What are the questions we should be asking our community? What are the divine concerns we should have? And should we ask ourselves the question, do we really care? Because Nehemiah had so much care that his body was in Persia, but his heart was in Jerusalem. It was over about 800 around that, miles away. He wanted to know how they were going. He cared about a place and a people that he had never lived in. It sounds to me he had his Father's heart. God in heaven had such a care and a heart for you that he would come to earth, that he would leave the luxury of heaven, that he would leave the palace and come and get on our level to meet you, to save you because he had so much concern and care. This was a divine appointment and it led to a desperate condition the wall of Jerusalem's were broken its gates were burned he said no this was not encouraging news this was not good news this was bad news I mean they're calling the people survivors they're they're, it's not a very hopeful title they're in great distress they're disgraced and and he notes look the city walls burnt with fire and the gates are burnt with fire. And you and me might be like, well, who cares? They're just walls. But let's understand that in that day where the city had no walls, it was defenseless. A city without walls had no protection from anything and basically what it meant was if you would do it today it would be to take the police force out of our community and government to take anything of the protective nature in our communities out to take doors off your house to take locks off alarm systems and to live with no protection or security you would live in constant fear constant anxiety constant Gee, that is sort of describing our world at the moment isn't it because it's not just physical it's spiritual And this city, the city was totally chaotic. It was anarchy. It was not a safe place to be. And it was a disgrace. Even though the temple was built, it couldn't have anything valuable in there because you couldn't protect anything. And I just feel in my spirit now, you can have wonderful things going on. You can have wonderful things that God wants to do, but he wants you to have some walls up in your life. Not walls to keep people out, walls to keep the enemy out. Some spiritual walls in your life that are like protective places, protective disciplines, protective habits that we have to keep the enemy out of our life and these walls this is not a good look and before we get to verse four can I just say this we've got to note this Nehemiah hears with concern he asks questions and he could have easily said well that's a shame I really feel sorry for them I really hope that you know what I might even start a mission fund for them send some money and pray for them he could have just brushed it off. He could have said, well, that's a real, I'm sorry to hear that. See, often we don't want to hear because we know what it will do to our heart. <laughs> I was sharing with the interns this week how I, I don't want to go and watch the, the, uh, the movie that's out, The Sound of Freedom. You know The Sound of Freedom, the movie? Yeah, there's a reason why I'm delaying and putting off going to watch it, watch it because it's all about human trafficking and I know what it will do to my heart. I know how it's going to make me feel. I'm not going to be sitting there eating popcorn and lollies and like this is a great old movie. It's going to break me and it will break you when it does that work. Sometimes we don't want to hear because we don't want to care if we're being really honest with ourselves. And Nehemiah could have said, you know what? Um, I feel sorry for them, but I've got something going on here. You know what he was? He was cupbearer to the king. He could have brushed it aside. I'll never forget walking down the street of Subiaco years ago, and one of our kids was there, me and Skye, and we see this disgusting-looking homeless person. And I say it like that because that's how you feel. It was disg- And they're homeless, and they're sitting there, and it just made you feel yucky inside. So I'm thinking to cross the road because they look dangerous as well. And our, if something happens when we grow up, we lose this sense of a burden for people like kids have. Thank you, Grace. And, and one of our kids said, Stop, mum and dad. Can't we help them? Can't we give them something? Haven't you got any money? And seeing the burden and the concern in one of our kids' heart made me so convicted. Like, man, I've got a lot of growing to do. We sometimes need to grow down into childlike faith, yeah? And um, so I got some money out, and um, one of our kids took it over and gave it to the homeless man. (laughs) We start walking about 20 metres later and I look back and uh, because the little sign said that he couldn't walk and stuff, he got up and walked away with the money. (laughs) And you know, that can make us cynical, but I believe God doesn't care so much about his heart at the time as my heart at the time and what my heart will do. It's never a wrong time to be generous, by the way. You might think you're getting ripped off, but it's not your money, it's God's money. And if you put it on your heart to do something with it, it's not your responsibility. Show him your heart nehemiah could have brushed this off he was cupbearer to the king what was a cupbearer well a cupbearer was a very dignified position he would be the closest person to the king beside the king's wife in fact as you look back in history you had to be a few things you had to be pretty well educated you had to know the law very well and you had to be handsome so he was a good looking guy at serving at the the king and and probably very popular i imagine You would, as a king, I wouldn't want my cupbearer to be someone everyone hated. Because the cupbearer was the one who would taste the king's wine before the king would taste it. And if it's poisoned, he wouldn't be a cupbearer. He would need a pallbearer. So he would taste his wine and he would taste his food. And so that if there was any poison, it was a protective nature for the king. So he was so close to the king, he had this awesome job going on. He would have eaten the king's food, drank the king's wine, lived in luxury. Why would he care about a city in ruins? Why would he care? Yet... We get to verse 4, and this cupbearer, this guy in a privileged position, this guy that is about to let his heart be inserted to the need, does something. And it says this, when when a concern becomes a burden, verse 4, So it was when I heard these words. Notice your ears are connected to your heart. What are your ears connected to? Your heart. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This is what that guy in that position. In, in that royalty did, he stopped. It st- I wrote down this, it stopped him and it stirred him. He actually couldn't stand up anymore. It says he sat down. I'm not saying he fell down, but you know when you hear news that you actually need to sit down, your legs get weak, they start to get vulnerable and you think I've got to sit down, I've just had this news and that's how much it broke him that he sits down and he starts to mourn and it wasn't just one mourn. He said he was mourning for many days. He mourned, but it's interesting because um, God was obviously going to do something about this situation. But here's the principle of this morning's message. If I say nothing else, please hear this. Before God's going to do anything about a situation, he's going to do something in a person. And he's wanting to do something in Nehemiah before Nehemiah can do anything for him. A great work, any great work of God begins with God doing a great work in somebody. He sits down and he gets what I would call this burden, an impregnation of agitation, that something should be different, fueled by the conviction that maybe I'm part of making the difference. A burden is not just a concern or a feel sorry. When you get a God-given burden, it gets personal for you. It gets personal and it weighs you down. And this is not a bad burden, by the way. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he will help you with his burdens, of course. But there is a burden, a divine discontentment that we should have as Christians, that this world needs Jesus. And this burden starts to grab him. And he goes down and he stays down in prayer. He stays down in fasting, in tears, in heartache. When's the last time something that you heard, something that you have, a burden sent you into tears, into fasting? He couldn't, he couldn't eat. I don't want to eat. Why? Because I, I, I just can't eat. And you know when you've got a burden, there are times where you can't even have a meal because of what it's doing on the inside of you. And this is the type of burden that Nehemiah has for his people and his place, and for God's glory. Because all through this book, you're going to see he was a man that knew God. He was a man that prayed and prayed and prayed. And he has this burden. So let me ask us today, do you have a burden? Because what the church needs more than clever programs and strategies are people with burden. That's what we really need. That's what the church is dying of. We need people with burdens. And I'm preaching to myself this morning. I'm preaching to myself as well that we need a fresh burden from God for what he cares about. And we should all have what I would call a general burden for the lost. We should all have a burden to be an outward focused, soul saving church for sure. But I want to challenge you this morning, what is your burden? What is something that keeps you up at night? What is something that brings you to tears? What is something that you feel so personal about? You want to be part of the solution. It could be something that you see, that you hear, something that you like. You know what? I I just can't live and let that keep happening. I want to be part of the solution. What is your burden? One of my burdens is to be a part of a church that isn't religious and isn't pushing people down, but is lifting people up. My burden: a church that's real, authentic, a church that... And part of my burden comes from some of my past. So we discovered at an intern session on Friday that some of the things that often make us angry a part of our calling. I get angry when Christians in churches get squashed by religion. I get angry when churches make it harder for people to get to Jesus, not easier. And part of that is what makes you angry is often a direction of your calling. Angry, as we said on Friday again, it gets a bad rap. It's righteous anger about things. Things should make us angry. Doesn't mean we're sinning, but it should make us, man. I don't want to say, oh, that should be different. What is your burden? What is it that would give you tears, that wakes you up, that wants you to move? The burden that God has for you. Nehemiah was fasting to the God of heaven. His reaction went beyond immediate emotion. And many times a concern will come over us, come over us and just flush and then quickly pass. But if it's from the Lord, it will abide, it will grow, and it will remain until the problem that prompted the burden, you're part of solving it. We should note that Nehemiah did not complain, whine, uh, see who else could fix the problem. Uh, Maybe someone else can sort this out. He immediately did what he knew he could do, and this is what he did, and this is The last part is called Nehemiah's prayer. He simply went to God in prayer. And I believe he went down with concern and brokenness. But when he rises up in this prayer, he comes up with the most powerful thing that God could give a person, and that was a God-given burden to make a difference. He rises up with a burden. And he says this in the next verse. He says... And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive to your, and your, sorry, and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants. Notice the first thing in his response he's saying, God, The Lord God of heaven, oh great and awesome God. Even though he's got this burden and he knows he wants to be part of the solution, he knows the first thing is to pray. What's the first thing we do every day? I say to my kids every day, what's the first thing? Is we pray. And they say, no, we breathe. And it's not funny anymore, okay? We actually pray. (laughs) And Nehemiah knew. But I love how he approaches God. And let me just teach a couple of things out of this prayer. He comes to God and he lifts him up. He's like when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Say our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, great and awesome God. He's like great and awesome God who keeps his covenant. You are faithful, God. You never let us down, God. We can rely on you and I'm coming to you. And he goes not to his, before he goes to the king that he wants to see, he goes to the king of kings. And never never forget that, that before we go to people, we go to God. Before we go to doctors, we go to God. We love them all and we are thankful for them. But our first thing is to go to the king of kings because he has the other kings heart. Heart in his hand. He has your boss's heart in his hand. And if you go to him first, he can do things that no man can do. He can open doors that no man can shut. You call it a job, God calls it a doorway. Don't, whatever your job is right now, whether, whether and as, as the old school would say, whether it's pumping gas, whether it's flipping burgers, whether it's running a company, whether it's a CEO of a big organization, whatever it is, no matter if it's making millions of dollars or whether you're just trying to get through paycheck to paycheck, never underestimate your job. You're there from God, for God, and it could be the day that the king has a conversation with you and opens a door that will change your life life and he's praying and he first lifts up God and he says I know who I'm praying to this looks impossible but I know my God with my God and what what did that missionary say it's always impossible until it's done and that's how God works and he prays this prayer and then he says this and I just want you to notice that in church we can have what one preacher called sanitized prayers sanitized prayers, clean prayers. And, but, but Nehemiah isn't that type of guy. He is a guy, and I love him. You'll learn this through the book, who is always just conversing with the Lord, always just one conversation away. But they're not always that sanitized. As he says this, he says now, And I confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. And why were they in captivity? Why did this all come about? Because of sin, because of what sin does, sin leaves us ruined. He said, "We have acted very corruptly against you, and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordin- ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses." I just love here. He confesses sins, and he says, "Even I have sinned." He he wasn't he was hasn't been there. Remember, he's been in this captivity, but because of the community nature and the covenant nature of being a part of the people of God. He wanted to own it with them like Moses. Moses didn't want to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He wanted to be known to be with God's people. And he had this same heart. Nehemiah has a similar heart where he's like, I want to own this too. And part of getting a great burden from God and part of God doing a work in our heart first is being honest with where we're at, is confession of sin, is saying it out loud and not, not just being nice and, and, and start, starting around here, but actually getting real and saying, God, I need to pray some honest prayers. I need to confess my sin to you. I need to confess our sin. We have gone away in this area. And, Lord, I need to come back. I'm just confessing it. I confess I need your forgiveness. Confession is the doorway to freedom there. really is the doorway to freedom. Like the uh, one preacher that got down on his knees to pray and he drew a circle around himself and he prayed a prayer and he said to God, start revival in, on everything inside this circle before I get up. Because he knew that it starts with me and Nehemiah knew that before he could fix some walls, God needed to fix his heart. And before you can be on mission effectively for God, I'm not saying you don't do it imperfectly. We all do. None of us are perfect. But why not come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need to confess this to you. This is holding me back. This is hindering me. I want to confess. And he confesses the sins of his people. He gets right with God in honest prayer. And when you think about it, God knew it all anyway. God knew it all anyway. Before God will use us greatly, he will break us greatly. Last few verses, uh, verse 8, remember. The instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return, which had happened, hadn't it? Scattered. But if you return to me and obey my commands, I love this, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for them. I love that. This is the type of prayer he's praying For God to remember his word. He's praying, God, you said. And guess what? When we pray, God, you said prayers, it's not for God as much as it is for us. But you know what? God loves God you said prayers. God you said that yes, even though we're scattered, if will return to you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.14, I love that scripture. This is what he's saying. You, I know God, you are the type of God that responds to repentance. If we will repent and confess the past, you will restore us. And he's saying God... You said, I want to ask you a question this morning as the team come back up. We'll finish off in a minute. What do you need to say in your prayers, God? You said, God, you said, you will never leave me nor forsake me. You said, you are the friend that sticks closer than a brother. God, you said that by your stripes I have been healed. God, you said that all my sins. You've cast from the east to the west into the sea of forgetfulness. God, you said, so as I come to you, I thank you that you're a forgiving God. And I just confess this because you know it anyway. I'm not keeping any secrets from you, God, because you know it anyway. And he starts praying the promises of God. And this is a great place to position him for what's next as we read the last couple of verses. And we're done. It says this, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength. (laughs) It's like they're yours, God. Your mighty hand did this. Verse 11, Lord, last verse, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. I love that. He's like, give me success today. This burden that I've got is about to get active. And I think that's my last slide. He responds with action. A real burden that God gives you will take you to action. He's, just notice this. In this time, Nehemiah on his knees, he has suddenly made a decision that if God be with him, which he believes he is, he will give up for however long it takes the lifestyle that he's in he will give up the luxuries of the palace he'll give up all the wine and the food he'll give up everything that he's been blessed with he will say you know what i am so blessed that i'm gonna give it up and he's made up his mind he's gonna go to the king after being to the king of kings and now he's like god give me success and that's where i'm gonna leave this morning and One of our elders, Brian Gordon, is going to preach next week on chapter 2 because I'm actually guest speaking away down at Mandurah next week. But that's where I want to leave us is that how is it in your heart this morning? Nehemiah, when he's in that place of prayer and gets up with this burden, basically says this. He basically says, why not me? Why not me be part of this? the answer? And I want to ask you, why not you? There's too many people living life with no burden. There's too many Christians in churches that don't have a burden from God. And I don't say that condemningly. Again, I need a greater sense of the burden God's given me because I know that that's what gets me up in the morning when you know you're on mission for Jesus, when you know every day is ministry, when you know He's ordering your steps, when you know He's ordering your appointments and there's no such thing as a, and not a divine appointment, even if it's just to smile and bless that cashier, whether it's whatever it looks like. And you, I want to encourage us as we close off chapter one. Why not you? And what is your burden? What is your burden? And you might be here this morning, and I feel it's important to say this. And you might be like, well, I don't really have a burden. How do I get it? How do I get one? And I want to tell you, it's, it's God-given. But if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you are meant to have a burden from God, not to weigh you down and to cripple you, but to rise you up like Nehemiah and say, I'm going to build, I'm going to be a construction worker for the kingdom. I've got a burden for the kingdom of God. And if you don't know what that is, do what Nehemiah did and be attentive to what you hear. Be attentive to what makes you angry. Be attentive to what gives you tears. Be attentive to the things that break you and let them break you before you get up. That's why I won't go watch that show because I don't want to be broken yet. But I know there are other things in my life when I get on my knees, I need to let God break me before I can get up with a burden from Him and say, here I am, Lord, send me. And that's the church that we want to be. Here we are, Lord. Send us. The sermon starts when we leave this building every week. Amen. That's where the sermon starts. Someone once said, that was a great sermon, Pastor. And the pastor said, well, that's yet to be seen. We don't know. We don't want to be a word, word, just word, church. We want to be word and action. Amen. So can I challenge you over the course of this series that where there's rubble in your life, where there's ruin in your life, God wants to bring revival. Can I challenge you over this series that God wants to give you a God-given burden for your part in the kingdom? And it's going to come through that prayer and seeking God. Would you stand with me as I'm going to pray a blessing over us? Are you comfortable to close your eyes? You've been sitting down and you've been hearing about a man, Nehemiah, who sat down And prayed. If you're comfortable to close your eyes, but when Nehemiah stood up, bang, 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 he stood up and there was a burden from God. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just ask Holy Spirit that you release God given burdens into the people standing with receptive hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, there are ministries. There are books to be written. There are ministries to start. There are visions that were once dead that are now coming back to life in Jesus' name. You once had such a strong vision of what you could see to be rebuilt and it's died and it's in rubble. In the name of Jesus, I call that out this morning and say, vision, rise up, fresh burden for what God's called you to do. There is no person in this room, young or old, that God is not calling by name to fulfill the burden that he's put on your heart so Father I thank you this morning Holy Spirit dropping fresh revelation fresh vision fresh burdens fresh burdens from you God another scripture says that we are to carry each other's burdens and through this series you're going to hear that we need each other again we are his family, his children. Father, I just thank you for that word this morning and as we just respond to that, would you lead us and guide us how you would have us to respond maybe this week, Lord, to take a scheduled time and to say, you know what? For that hour, I'm going to pray. I'm just going to spend one hour and pray about this burden. I'm going to read the book of Nehemiah chapter 1 and say, God, speak to me. Maybe you already know what God's calling you to do and that's exciting and that's awesome. Maybe it's time to Go to who you need to go to. Who is that person that's going to help connect the dots for you? Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you for what you're doing. I just pray a blessing over this series. I pray, Father, for each week as we go, that there will just be a fresh sense of what you're prophetically speaking into our lives and building here at Calamunda. Father, I thank you for every person. I just speak a blessing over them this morning, your peace over them this morning, and your love over them this morning as we worship you in Jesus' mighty name. What do you say? Amen. Well, I got I got a lot out of that. So thanks for being here. I really enjoyed that. Um, if you want prayer this morning, Pastor Tim's going to sing us uh, lead us in another song. But feel free to come to the front. There'll be dis- then Tim will dismiss you for coffee. But feel free to come down and receive prayer. If that if if you're a leader here and you know you're on our prayer team and no one's there, please come and pray for the person. Nothing work. Nothing more awkward than standing there like someone going to pray for me. So yeah, let's be free, be family, and uh, let's pray. Thank you.